Hello. Uh, before we start today, I just want to say this is a slightly different format of the podcast. This is an actual play of a Call of Cthulhu solo book, which I've attempted to dress up in some nice sound effects and stuff like that. Maybe it's good. One thing that is bad, however, is I recorded it quite late at night on a day where I'd also recorded two other podcasts, so uh, my ability to speak was quite poor, so I apologise for um, any mumbly bits. Uh, so I apologise for that. Um, also, uh, this is a happy birthday, happy 40th birthday to Call of Cthulhu. Congratulations, you made it middle-aged, uh, and uh, let's, let's enjoy it for many more many more years. Uh, we're also going to be at Dragon Meet. Um, hopefully we'll meet you there. We're going to be there on the on Saturday. If you're around, come say hello. If you've got a cool new game, come say hello. Show us the game. Yeah, so we'll be there. We'll, we'll just be wandering the halls. We don't have a stand. Um, so just, you, you've seen what we look like on, on Twitter. You can spot us from a mile away, we hope. And uh, we hope to see that. Hope to see you there. Um, if you have any opinions about what we should check out, um, leave them in the comments of this uh, podcast. And finally, um, it's just worth saying that the solo books are very, very good, but I rolled so badly in this upcoming adventure. It's going to feel like they may, they may be very short and brutal, um, but that's just that's just how it came out for me. Anyway, on with the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. I'm Chris Eggett, the editor of the magazine, and today we're doing something a little bit different to usual. Uh, today we are um, playing a solo uh, RPG, solo adventure, called Alone Against the Tide for Call of Cthulhu. Uh, this is a uh, choose-your-own-adventure style game that uses the Call of Cthulhu um, stats and system to generate um, outcomes to your, your, the things you attempt to do. Uh, you're still making sort of kind of uh, path-based choices. You know, you can decide to use... Uh, you'll be offered opportunities to make roles to see if you manage to do certain things and after that, that will change the path of the game that you're, you're, you're progressing through. So we've created a character called Francis Knight. He's uh, from the 1920s. Um, because that's where the story says that he's in Boston. Um, he's a uh, he's a police officer um, from Boston, uh, and he is. Um, uh, but he's he he wants to retire to be a, a chef. He's sixty four. He's thinking about retiring now, uh, but he's been um, asked to come out and just check something kind of funny going on uh, with the uh, the death of a uh, certain professor. For those of you not familiar, uh, Call of Cthulhu uses a D100 roll under system. So all of your stats are presented between 1 and 100, and then your goal is to roll under your stats. So if I've got a strength of 60, for example, as I do here, you're trying to do something, you use the strength, so you need to roll some dice to get something under 60. You're rolling two dice, you're rolling a, uh, a D10 and um, a another D10, but the numbers are presented as yeah, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, you know, the, uh, the 10s. Um, so in this case I rolled a 15, um, and that would actually be a extreme success in this case because I rolled a quarter of my strength skill, um, under a quarter of my strength skill, depending how friendly you'll be, um, uh, and then the half would obviously be 30. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to take our adventure off into Alone Against the Tide, a solitary adventure by the lakeshore by Nicholas Johnson and Friends, 
Um, this is a nice um, soft cover, uh, very light, um, slightly thrifty feeling paperback book, which uh, is exactly the feel you want for this kind of game. Because uh, you don't need to log, lug about a huge keeper tome or anything like that. You need to use the quick start rules as I have to create your character or to use the one involved in the book. The way this is going to work is I'm going to read to you um, each of the prompts and uh, as we go along uh, I'm going to discuss my choices as, as I make them and do the kind of things that um, uh, I think is good for the character to do, hopefully makes an interesting story uh, and, and sort of leans leans into their leans into their strengths. Here we go. The sun sinks low over the horizon as you board the ferry headed towards the lake to Esbury. As you set foot on the boat, the ferryman greets you with a wide smile and a cheery wave. He stands by the gangplank as you pass, welcoming the other passengers as he removes his cap to scratch his balding head. His pudgy figure fills the well-worn suit. He looks a little awkward, but he seems rather pleasant sort. Leaving the man behind you, you take a seat towards the prow, eyes fixed on your destination. You set onto a seat with your thin briefcase resting on your lap, noticing the rest of the passengers are likewise getting comfortable with the short trip across the lake. Glancing around, you catch sight of the ferryman entering the cabin. As you sit patiently and wait for the engine to come to life, you listen to the sounds of idle chatter around you. You look out across the water and notice a thin fog beginning to form over the surface of the water as the temperature drops with the approach of night. After a few minutes, you hear the engine splutter into action and feel the ferry lurch forward. The conversations around you continue as the ferryman joins you all on deck. You can't help but overhearing most of the talk, although it's unsurprisingly banal. Uh, there are almost a dozen passengers on the ferry. Most of them are simply looking to spend their money during the weekend in Esbury and to enjoy the various shops and leisure activities the lakeside, time, lakeside town has to offer. Many of the passengers seem to come from money, as is common in Esbury. You notice a strange look from one of the women in the group. She has a full figure and brown hair and eyes. She seems to be looking you over, admiring your features. The woman clearly sees something in you that she likes. Perhaps it's your looks or a glint of intelligence in your eyes. She gives you a sly wink before turning back to her companions. You likewise turn your attention to the rest of the passengers. Sitting apart from the general crowd are two men in the dark, well-tailored suits, whispering quietly to each other. They have unamused expressions on their faces, as if they don't seem to please to be pleased to be here. Perhaps they're on business. Noticing that you're sitting alone, the ferryman approaches you and stands over you with his characteristic smile. You notice he's missing a tooth in the upper left corner of his mouth. His eyes are bright and they light upon you. Good afternoon. You look a bit lonely there, friend. What brings you to Esbury? And here we're given a choice which um, is defined by what character archetype we took. Um, in this case, I'm just going to take um, police detective. Uh, but there are other options, so you, you know that you can sort of play through this game in quite quite a different way, um, depending on depending on the kind of character you are. And I suppose this is a good point to introduce my character a bit further, which is just to say he's a aging man who's uh, looking forward to running a a uh, small restaurant after he retires because uh, he enjoys cooking. Unless he enjoys those slightly finer things as he's aged you know, into detective work, and this might be his last case, I think. Um, he's strong, dexterous, um, not very, not very smart, and not not a large man, uh, but he's good, good willpower, um, uh, and uh, he's got a luck of sixty and a sanity of sixty as well, which is very good. 
and 13 hit points. His other skills include uh, brawling, uh, dodge, uh, anthropology. I've topped up a tiny amount. Um, intimidate, he's got there's a, a very high value, he's got 85 for that. Uh, and then we've got uh, locksmith, natural world, occult, um, psychology, sleight of hand, spot hidden, stealth, and swim. All uh, variously, uh, I use the quick start rules, which uh, just allow you to drop some numbers in and then top a few up with a few 20% to just make yourself a little bit more rounded. Anyway, after that small amount of introspection, we continue. You choose your words carefully before replying, not wanting to get, give out sensitive information. You tell him you're with the police department over in Boston and that you're working a case. The fairman scratches his head. Boston, huh? And they'd sent you all the way out here. I imagine this has to be to do with Professor Harris's death, but Officer Powell has it all handled, I think. The man shrugs and flashes another smile. Ah, but I suppose it's not my place to pry. He extends his hand to you. I'm Lance Sanford, by the way. I think we skipped the introduction. So here are my options. Uh, to inquire about Professor Harris, go to page 27. To inquire about Officer Powell, go to 36. To ask, ask Lance Stanford about himself. To pass the time, wait until to arrive in Esbury. So here are my options. I'm going to ask about Professor Harris. I think it's interesting that this uh, gentleman already has sort of some gossip or some knowledge about about this person and that he could easily put it together in that way. It's probably a small community, but, but still, um, it's worth knowing. Uh, so I ask about uh, Professor Harris. The pharaoh raises a questioning eyebrow at you. Professor Harris? I can't say much, really. He didn't, I didn't know him all that well, but he seemed like a nice guy. I was sad to hear that he died. He gently pressed for more information about his death. Sanford frowns, but answers. Officer Powell says it's suicide. I'm inclined to believe him. Professor Harris seemed happy enough to me, more than content to relax in Esprit like anyone else. In between his studies, uh, of course, uh, ancient Indian history, I think it was. I had coffee with the professor a few weeks ago, and he talked my ear off about it. I couldn't understand half of what he said, but he was quite excited by whatever it was. You exchange a few more pleasantries with Sanford before he goes off to finish guiding the boat into port. You pass the time in casual conversation with the other passengers and observing the scenery. You note the tall pines and the sloping hills along the lakeshore around Esbury. These features and the small town beyond are just visible through the, the growing mist. But squinting helps make them out to your satisfaction. In time, you arrive on the pier in Esbury, grateful to be off the water. So just to tell you what I'm thinking. Um, I think it's strange that he's a man who doesn't know the professor very well, but I did have coffee with him. I don't know if you have coffee with people you don't know very well. Um, maybe you do in the 1920s, maybe it was something you do. You take your first steps into the pier with the rest of the ferry passengers, trying to get your land legs once again. The passengers still chat casually as they walk off to their destinations. You note one little, little last flirty wink from the full-figured woman as she struts along confidently behind the woman accompanying her, and you feel the two dark-suited men push past you at a brisk pace, nudging you out of their way. Sanford gives you one last wave and a smile as he, begin, smile as he begins tending to the old rusting boat that is his pride and joy. The last light of the sun is fading fast, and the fog is growing thick on the water now. The night is still young, but you would rather not be wandering around in the dark and fog of a town you are unfamiliar with. Taking in your surroundings, you see a sizable crowd jockeying for entrance into a lavish, modern-looking building along the lakeside. A folding sign sits in front, illuminated by a lantern. The words, Estate Sale Tonight, are written in large, bold letters. 
While this seems to be the main attraction, you could also seek out somewhere to stay for the night and set about your work in the morning. So my choices here are to go to the estate sale or to find somewhere to stay for the night. Um, and the truth is, I would go find somewhere to stay for the night. However, the estate sale is probably going to be something related to Professor Harris's estate. And with that in mind, I think it's probably best for me to go um, check out check out who's there and um, who's looking a bit a bit shifty. Um, so I'm going to go to the estate sale. Pushing through the crowd, you make your way towards the estate sale. Judging by the number of people packing into the dance hall, it seems to be quite the event. Most of the people here are well-dressed with conspicuous amounts of jewellery and designer clothing on display. You see a broad-shouldered man in a policeman's uniform standing by the door. He has a scarred yet clean-shaven face and a baton at his side. His brow is furrowed in, serious, in a serious expression and he watches the commotion through the narrow eyes. As you mingle with the assorted academics and collectors, you notice a few other faces that stand out in the crowd. Most immediately, you spot a man in a flowing orange robe with tawny skin. He seems more than a little out of place and is garnered with some odd-looking other guests. Uh, he seems a little more than out of place and is garnered with some odd looks from other guests. Glancing around further, you happen to notice two dark, the two dark-suited gentlemen from earlier standing in the corner uh, at the front of the room, talking to a young, dark-haired man in a dated but elegant coat. He is of slight build and has rather sharp features. A thin wisp of a moustache hangs beneath his nose. Most noticeably, though, is the rather attractive young woman standing on stage at the front of the room next to an old man wearing glasses. Long black hair cascades down her shoulders, accentuating her pale features and complementing her formal black dress. Occasionally, she and the other gentlemen peek at objects hidden beneath white sheets, sale items waiting to be displayed. Um, so I think I, so. our choices are to mingle with a crowd of guests, to speak to the officer, um, to approach the man in orange, to introduce uh, myself to the dark-suited men, to make my way towards the stage and the woman, and to leave the ball and go find somewhere to stay. So I think I'm going to go talk to the man in the uh, the orange. I want to do that because um, because of that suggestion of uh, some Indian mysticism, and um, uh, you just you sort of wonder what what this character, um, this uh, Professor Harris, had. That would be on sale now. That someone uh, who may who may be more closely connected to that uh, would want back. Let's say. Um, so yes, I want to I want to talk, I'll talk to this man. You approach the strange man. He seems well travelled and weary. And his long orange robes are a stark contrast to the fine suits and dresses of that of the New England uh, financial elite. He seems decidedly out of place. You open your mouth as if to speak and find him staring staring intensely at you. Okay, so now I've got to make an anthropology roll. Uh, so my anthropology is, and I, th I believe I've done this right, I've added one of those 20% to the 1% um, you already get. So I need to get under 21 for this to be a pass, um, which is quite unlikely, um, but we'll see. Okay. That is 51. Okay, so that is a, that is a fail. Um, if it was a bit closer, I might have spent some luck. Uh, to get through to uh, to get to, through to the success, but I don't think I can spend that much luck on this guy. Um, he blurts out a greeting, trying to make a stranger feel welcome. His face contorts into a look of disappointment, and the man turns his back on you. You have clearly displeased him somehow, and he wants nothing more to do with you. You have begun gathering information, Esprit. Would you like to interact some more? 
Okay, so I've got some options here. Uh, I could use three of these uh, before retiring. So uh, I can mingle with the crowd again, um, speak with the officer, uh, introduce myself to the dark-suited men, make my way towards the stage and the woman, um, or leave the hall and go find a place to stay for the night. Um, I think I am going to... So I think the woman is probably the bereaved widow of Professor Harris. That's That would be my guess. You know, she's wearing black. Um, she's near the front. You know, so she's probably part of the you know, part of the show, as it were. Um, I think I'll go speak to the officer at the back of the room and see if he's a, a friendly one or a non-friendly one, uh, whether he even recognises me as a, a, a police detective or not. You turn around and backtrack towards the entrance of the ballroom. Something about the officer above the door catches your attention and holds it. He gives off a commanding presence and his eyes bore into you intensely as you make your way over to him. As you move within earshot, he rests his hand on the baton and clears his throat. I really hope there isn't going to be any sort of problem, citizen. I wouldn't want to see anyone getting hurt tonight. His hand does not move from the baton. Uh, so now he wants me to make a, a psychology roll. So I do have some psychology. Uh, it's another one I've topped up, so I've got 30. So I need to roll under 30 to pass this. Um, and again, I got 50. So I failed that. Um, am I going to pay... No, I'm not going to pay that much. I'm going to go to 29. Okay. So I'm, I'm really bumbling around at the moment, really making an absolute tit of myself in this new place, uh, which will... Um, probably bring bring me no good. Um, the officer seems rather alert and vigilant. It'd probably be best not to bother him and to let him get on with his job. He clearly does not need or want your help in any way. So I think I'm just going to mingle with the crowd and then I'm going to go home. I'm just going to see if they're ambiently picking anything else up. Rather than single any, anyone or anything in particular out, you feel it would be best to use your time to get a general impression and speak to multiple people to get their points of view. Hearing the talk around the room, you've come to understand that most of the people here have gathered are merely treating it as a social event. However, there are a fair number of academics and collectors in attendance as well. Judging by the relative wealth of the townsfolk, you imagine there will still be a lot of bids placed on the items. While walking among the guests, you happen to notice a pair of men conversing in hushed tones. They seem to be trying to avoid being overheard, but a keen ear might be able to catch what is being said. Right, listen roll. Let's see, have I got any listen? No, I didn't give myself any listen, which was a little bit stupid, because it's key Call of Cthulhu uh, mechanic is uh, hearing something. So I've got to get under a 20 to, uh, to hear this. Uh, and that is a 40, and that is nothing. I failed, so I went to 44 instead. Um, so I strain my, my slightly aging ears, and they, they can't do it. Uh, and in fact, that's what this says. You strain your ears trying to overhear the huddled pair's words, but the noise of the other conversations around the room drowns out what it said. Okay, so now my character is going to retire, I think. Um, while the estate sale seems interesting, you'd feel more secure with a roof over your head for the night. You pull someone out of the crowd and inquire as to whether you can find a room to rent. You're directed a few blocks into town to mod modestly priced hotel a few buildings down from Estuary's police station. As you enter in from the cool night air, you're greeted by a heat of roaring fire. The small front room feels stuffy and cramped. The bulk of the space is dominated by a large service counter, behind which sits a wiry-looking wisp of a woman. She turns her wide eyes towards you and asks for your name, then quotes you a price that's more than fair. With the transaction complete, you haul your thin briefcase up the stairs, unpack it, and settle into your room for the night. 
You wake in the morning, grateful for the rest. You rise from your bed and take the modest surroundings that make up your room. The furnishings are sparse, a small poor quality dresser and a cramped and dusty writing desk tucked in the corner. Sitting atop the desk is a plate of eggs and toast, apparently set out for you by the hotel's owner. The walls are plain and unadorned, save for a single window that faces towards the lake. However, this view is currently blocked by the incredibly thick fog, which has taken on a pale green hue. Your vision is obscured entirely, and you cannot see into the depths of that outlandish green mist. You also notice your personal belongings placed around the room, exactly as you left them the night before. After getting dressed and eating the modest breakfast set out for you, you're ready to begin your day. You take a moment to consider what that means for you. Your mind turns to Professor Harris. If you're so inclined, you might be able to investigate the circumstances of his death further. Considering that you didn't ha have his widow Amelia's address, you'd have to start your search with the official report filed with Officer Powell at the police station. Alternatively, you could take this free time to look through your belongings and examine any items you might have. The hotel owner has been in your room, so a check of your things might be in order. Or perhaps you have some other reason to look over your possessions. Finally, if you feel it, that your business in Esprit is concluded, you could always try to find Lance Sanford at the ferry. So I think I'm going to go to the police station and just try and find the address of the widow. I think that's um, the main, the best thing to do here, isn't it? I think, I think we need to go introduce ourselves to the widow and see what's going on. Because she will be... Let's be honest, she's suspect number one, isn't she? If it is a murder, after all, which we assume it, because um, because um, we're the police. You step out into the greenish mist. You feel it clinging tightly to you as you make your way the short distance to the police station. Upon entering the small brick building, you are struck with a sense of claustrophobia. The walls here are uncomfortably close together, and the space is tight. Crammed into the tiny structure are a large desk, several filing cabinets, a few chairs. A closet-sized holding cell with iron bars sits at the rear of the room. Behind the large desk is Officer Powell, smoking a cigar with his feet propped up on the table. His coat is unbuttoned, and his hat lies on top of the stack of papers, next to a battered old revolver. He opens one eye and frowns at you, sighing through his cigar as he straightens himself up to look presentable. If you're bothering me right now, I'm going to assume this is important. You mentioned that you'd like to see the police report for Professor William Harris's death to which he replies with a snort. You have no business dealing with that, and even if you did, this is my jurisdiction. Shove off and leave me in peace. He doesn't seem cooperative. Perhaps you could convince him that you have some special circumstances that warrant you looking through his files. Okay, so this is a... Uh, we asked for a fast talk role here, um, which I've only got a 5% in, so uh, wish me luck. Um, oh, that is a 80... Uh, and a massive fail. You try to convince the officer that you have a particularly good reason for needing to access the files, but he simply doesn't care. Scram, stranger. You're ruining my smoke. If you want to dig up the dead guy, go bother his widow. Her place is over the north side of town, right next to the church. Can't damn well miss it. Officer Powers will be of no more help at this time. Uh, so my options are to go to the Harris house directly, uh, or to return to the hotel. Um, I think I'm, I'm on... I'm on the case now. I'm going to go to the, the Harris house, right? You walk into town towards the Harris address. Even knowing your location, it's difficult for you to find your way due to your unfamiliarity with the town and the density of the peculiar green mist. As a result, it's some time before you arrive at the Harris house. 
As you approach the building, a man steps out of the fog, blocking your path. He's young and thin with rather angular features and a faint hint of a moustache atop his lisp. He's dressed in a dark suit and stares at you from beneath the flat cap. You're an unwelcome surprise. I don't know what you're looking for, but you won't find it here. Your eyes betray that you glance at the Harris house. The man scowls visibly. Why don't you leave the poor widow alone, you creep? If you want to bother her, you're going to have to go through old Joshua here. Capiche? His hand brushes beneath his coat as if searching for something, but then he stops himself. He pauses for a moment, looking you over once more before spitting on the ground at your feet and turning away. Um, so I can call out to Joshua, make my way to the Harris house, or heed his warning and return to the hotel. Um, I think I'm going to call out to him. You know, why not? I can almost certainly knock him out, I think. I think that you know, this is a strong guy. Uh, he's got a good brawl. Um, I don't think he's uh, that much of a threat. We'll see. You call out to Joshua to explain himself, half expecting that he will simply brush you off. Surprisingly, he turns turns in your direction and steps towards you. As Joshua moves close to you, you can once again make out his features despite the fog. You see now that he is visibly red in the face and his eyes are bloodshot. He's clearly livid. His hands dart beneath the coat and re-emerge holding a Colt M1911, which he points directly at you while speaking in an agitated manner. What the hell is your problem? I threaten you and you come back for more? Do you have a death wish? Leave Amelia alone. We've been about this for too long for you to wander into town and ruin it for me. He shoves you back and levels a gun at your face, looking you dead in the eyes with sweat on his brow. He grits his teeth, panting and huffing for a second, before holstering the gun and bracing himself against the nearby building. Get the hell out of my sight. If we have to look at your goddamn face of yours one more second, I'll put another hole in it. You see no reason to further provoke Joshua, and you hurriedly leave him where he is. Um, so my options are to press onto the Harris house. Again, if you feel it's not, the investigation is not worth the risk and want to return to the hotel, um, I've got that option. But no, I'm going to the Harris house. Let's go um, chat with the widow. Despite Joshua's urgings, you feel compelled to speak to Amelia yourself. You approach the front of the house and note your surroundings. The house's exterior hints at the wealth of the occupants, but then again, so do most places in town. Directly across from the residence is a small church whose religious iconography as it seems to have inspired the Harrises in the design of their own home. A bronze cross hangs over the front door, and decorative columns line the outside walls of the two-storey house. All in all, the architectural style is somewhat baroque, uh, complete with a pair of carved angels lounging beneath the eaves with just visible through the strange haze. You knock on the door and wait for the mist for a few moments, hoping that someone t- will hear you. Eventually, much to your relief, the widow Amelia answers the door, She's wearing a bright red dress which accents her deep crimson lipstick. She appears to be taking great care over her appearance. She flashes you a smile and invites you inside. The house opens into a large foyer and you see various crates and bundles stacked high along the walls. Just sewing off a few more common things. Mind the mess, the porter hasn't been for it yet. She takes you by the hand and leads you past the stack of items, helping you to pick your way through the deceased Professor Harris's assembled possessions. She takes you into a small living room full of antique furniture and offers you some coffee. After settling in and exchanging a few well-mannered pleasantries, you ask for more details about the late Professor Harris. Amelia sighs theatrically and looks down at her hands. I can't imagine what you want to ask about William. I found him in his study with a gun still in his mouth. What more could you want to know? And so we're going to make a psychology roll again. Uh, And hopefully we'll pass this time. Um, And uh, yeah. So we, we're trying to get under 30 here, uh, and we've got 52. That's another fail. Do I want to burn 
something on this. No, I'm going to continue failing. That's what I'm going to do. Um, so I can burn luck to improve my scores, but I'm not going to. Um, I'm going to go to 31. You nod sympathetically. The woman is clearly uncomfortable talking about her deceased husband. And you and anyone would want to put that behind them. You pause for a moment, trying to frame your next question with a measure of sensitivity. You open your mouth to speak, but you're interrupted by a loud knock at the door. Amelia jumps up startled and stands there for a moment in confusion as the pounding on the door resumes. Police, open the door. Amelia's face drains white as she goes to answer the knock. Your gut tells you something is wrong here. You feel uneasy about the officer at the door. You tell yourself they're being, you're being irrational and on the edge, but you have some trouble fighting that feeling. You have a few precarious moments to react. So I can ignore my instincts and wait, or I can make the chance to hide and make a stealth roll, and if I succeed, uh, well, hopefully I'll be hiding somewhere. Okay, so there's a stealth roll here. Uh, so let's give that a go. So I've got a uh, stealth of 40. Right, that's 66. That's an absolute fail. Um, no, I'm going to go with the, the fail again. Let's, let's, see how, let's see how it goes. Uh, I'm just, I've not made a single roll yet, have I? So... Um, I don't know what I'm saving it for, you know. Your instincts get the better of you and you feel compelled to make your escape. You rise from the seat, looking for a suitable exit. The only way that doesn't lead towards the entrance is through the kitchen. You don't know if there's an exit that way, but you think it's worth a shot. Unfortunately, you never get to take it. You rise and head for the kitchen doorway. Officer Power bursts into the room, shouting, Freeze, please! You glance over your shoulder and see his revolver levelled at you, and you go stiff. You're under arrest for trespassing. You're going to come with me, now. As you dead in his sights, Talking would do you little good as he's already caught you trying to flee the scene. You should probably do what he says. On the other hand, you could try and run. Staring down the barrel of the gun, the others don't look good, but maybe you'd like to try your chances better with the gun than the prison cell. So our options are to go quietly or to make a run for it. And uh, there's only really one play way to play these games, and that is as chaotically as possible. And so I'm going to run. I'm just going to sprint. This is a 64-year-old man thinking about his retirement who's going to decide to just make a just make a run for it. You eye the barrel of the gun, weighing your chances. It doesn't look good, but you decide it beats the alternative. Your muscles tense, waiting to spring into action. You take a breath and go for it. You miscalculated just how slim your chances were. You managed to take one step before you allowed, hear the loud crack of the revolver. You feel a round slam into your chest, and then another. You stumble back, clutching your wounds, doubled over in ang- agony. You look up just and soon see power looming over you before he smashes the butt of the gun in your head. In a daze, you look down at the pool of blood forming around you. Your limbs start to go numb. The pain starts to recede, and you feel yourself growing cold. You know that you're going to die. The last thing is a glint of, the mur- of a murder in the policeman's eyes. You have died. Your visit to Esprit is over. The end. Wow. <laughs>